I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Welcome to Podcast Like It's 1999. I'm your host, Phil Iskov. And with us today is Beth Schwartz, the showrunner of Arrow and the co-showrunner of the upcoming Netflix series, Sweet Tooth, which I'm super jealous that you're doing. Um, and we are going to be talking about episode 209, Portraits. In fact, this is the last episode of Felicity that aired in 1999. We'll have a couple episodes after this, sort of bonus episodes or what have you. But this is the last episode of Felicity that aired in 1999. Um, it's the Christmas finale, sort of. It's the last one that aired before before January. Um, but before we get into all of that, Beth, uh, how did Felicity come into your life and where were you in 1999? So Felicity, I watched Felicity from the beginning because I think I was on the same track as her, not to age myself, but I'm very old. <laughs> I, I am I am also old. I think we were concurrently So I uh, think watching- she to college the same year I went to college. And so it was everyone I knew was watching the show because we were going through the same experiences. I did not go to college because of a boy, but (laughs) we did go at the same time. Um, So so you're watching it, similar to myself, you're watching it at the same time that she's going through the same things that you're going through. Did you feel like the show... Did it speak to you? Did it seem silly to you at the time? Did it seem like, you know, did you feel like it was a representation of your college experience? Yeah. At the time, I remember feeling like it 
exactly was, was what I was going through just in terms of the dorm life and, you know, being in a, a new experience. Um, watching it now, <laughs> I feel like uh, it's a to- whole, totally different lens. Um, but a great lens is like, it's nostalgic. It's, it's all about, um, sort of, I don't want to say the small things, but kind of when you're at that age, um, you know, who you're dating, what you're studying, where you're working, like all those things are amplified and, and exaggerated. So I think they did such a good job with that. And it's, and you can't find that on television right now. I don't think, unless it's stuff I'm not watching, which is because <laughs> there's 500 shows. <laughs> well, I, I, I mean, that, that actually segues into sort of your, your career started in the sort of in the Greg Berlanti camp, correct? It started, well, it started assistant wise. And then I, right. I worked on what about Brian, which was a JJ Abrams show. Um, and that was actually the first episode of produced television that I wrote. That's really interesting. Um, so I want to talk about both those things. But um, what's interesting is that sort of, you know, your your Everwoods, and we had Rena Mamoon on for an episode as well, where she talked about, um, you know, watching Felicity and, you know, Everwood and sort of earnest television, I guess, is what I'm getting at. When you sort of made TV that felt, you know, we talked a little bit about this before we got on mic, but, you know, low stakes TV in compared to what we're dealing with today. And the stakes were far more emotionally resonant and they were more about sort of, as you said earlier, the little moments, the sort of almost Cameron Crowian kind of things mm-hmm. where like it's about sort of an emotional connection with a person and how that feels like life or death um, and how we don't really see that anymore. But what was it like sort of, and I would even say what about Brian, which was part of sort of the, the J.J. Abrams character stuff that he mm-hmm. was doing. What was it like to sort of be a part of that world? And and did you feel Felicity's influence? Yeah, I, you know, working on one about Brian, I think did connect a little more um, with the Felicity type shows than obviously working on Arrow where the stakes are literally life and death and <laughs> death and then life again. <laughs> um, it, it's Very uh, What? Seriously, it's like yeah. I mean, it, it's it's crazy how how everything is dialed up to eleven now. But yes, yeah. Sure. So you know, working on what about Brian? It was my first job as um, as a writer's assistant, which is the best job in the world. Um, and <laughs> it was perfect because it was all about these uh, it was all about these couples in their thirties, and I was younger than I was younger than thirty then. Um, but it was all about dating and, you know, how you fit in and Brian feeling like he, he fell behind from everyone else. Cause he wasn't married. It was so relatable to so many people sure. and everyone talked about their own life experiences and their own dating experiences. And if they were married, what it was like being married. So, you know, that happens in, in shows, in shows like Arrow and, and on Sweet Tooth, but that's not what is at the forefront of those shows necessarily. Um, they have many other things going on. Um, so it's <laughs> nice to see like a show that is just talking about real life and what people go through because it's therapeutic and it, and it's relatable and, and those small moments are huge moments in, in your own life. Sure. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's one of those things where, um, I talked a little bit with uh, Allison Akel from uh, Shondaland a little bit about this, but just sort of that, um, 
pregnant pauses and and sitting in moments. And, you know, I talked a little bit with Karina McKenzie about this, too, about how much air is in this show. Like mm. you can you can as a showrunner, obviously, especially on Arrow. I mean, there's none of that. You're oh, not no, no. you're not allowed. We, that. Do, this, we do this different. <laughs> but yeah, Arrow is like you don't have a moment to, you know, to breathe. They don't have they don't have a moment to breathe on camera. Because right. There's so much happening. Yeah, I mean, I think that you know, cable and 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 certainly streaming has changed that to a certain degree. And and, and I talked with with Allison about you know um, <clears throat> normal people and how, in its own way, that, yeah, it there's there are some similarities between the two shows a little bit in terms of of just um, first and foremost, uh, you know, a, a, a relationship being at the center of the show, like an actual grounded relationship between two young people as they grapple with sort of the ups and downs of what that means um, and, and, and growing and learning and, and all that. And, and I want to talk about that a little bit in this specific episode, because this episode feels like it really taps into that idea of, um, of growth and um, not sort of repeating yourself, not making the same mistakes over and over again, um, which uh, makes for, I mean, I think makes for compelling television, but some might argue otherwise. <laughs> some people want to see mistakes made over and over and over again. Um, but uh, so did you did you watch Felicity in its entirety when it was on? Or do you think you just watched the first couple seasons or? You no, know, it's so fun. Ever since I had a child, like my memory has, has <laughs> really gone. So it's, sure, sure. it's possible. Yeah, I mean. Um I thought I did. I did think I watched an entirety, sure. but then when I went back after I watched this episode, I like could not remember anything. So I went back and I watched the pilot and I just mm-hmm. don't remember it. It's so interesting, but in my memory, I remember watching the whole thing through, but I'm, I'm sure you watched it. <laughs> I, I, I'm sure. I mean, it's certainly, I know personally for me, um, the fact that Felicity's four years of, of university coincided with my four years of university, it, it just sort of felt like, uh, I kind of had to see it to to the end, yeah. if that makes any like sense. Our show, like it was meant, it yeah. was made for us. We're like, this is who the show was speaking to. A lot of us, I think, a hundred percent, and also just sort of the the uh, idyllic perspective of a university or college experience. I mean, I remember talking to my friends about you know Sean's loft apartment and thinking about how like that was a thing that was attainable when of course it was built in Culver City and it didn't, wasn't even in New York. It's so in New York City. It's one thing even like I went to school in Michigan which sure. still did not have that. But like in New York City that was so expensive. <laughs> yeah, it's like every now and then Sean complains about finances and I'm like, well maybe if you didn't live in this like luxurious giant loft right. you wouldn't right. yeah, that's that's neither here nor there. Um well let's talk about this specific episode. I'll just give a synopsis. Uh episode 209 portrait Felicity is having weird dreams about Noel that make her realize she wants him back, but she doesn't want to jeopardize his budding relationship with Ruby. Meanwhile, Julie gets an offer for a demo deal with a record label executive uh, who Sean believes just wants to get her into bed and Ben agonizes over his English literature final. Uh, portraits, <laughs> high stakes, guys, high stakes. Uh, portraits aired on December 19th, 1999, and it was written by uh, Jed Seidel and directed by your former boss, Lawrence Trilling, um, who will be coming on uh, as well. We're going to do a, a, an additional interview with him uh, either on this episode or on a future episode. Um, but um, this episode, what I liked about this episode, and this is another thing about, I think, 
let's just say WB TV, because it feels like it was a little bit more emblematic of that time. Yeah. Um, where your themes were pretty obvious. <laughs> um, where like you could have an assignment from a professor that literally just tells you what the theme of the episode is. Yes. Um, and this one was uh, <laughs> draw a portrait of your of two portraits of the same person of yourself and someone else, I believe. And sort of it's about perspective and how you see yourself and how others see you, um, which I really like because as a, as a uh, sort of, let's call it a fall finale or whatever, it really gives an opportunity for Felicity to be introspective a little bit, for her to understand who she is as a person uh, and who she wants to be perhaps. Um, and yeah, so how did you feel about the themes? How did you feel about sort of what the episode was trying to say? I, lo- I love the theme and I love the Felicity Knowles story. The The theme didn't really tap into the Ben story unless it was about an <laughs> unwoke white dude. <laughs> yeah, Ben has no storyline, basically. Like, it's no a joke. Line. And then it's like, it's actually very topical in terms of like, he has no idea about mm-hmm. any other cultures, <laughs> but his own. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> interesting. Um, I'm not sure if they meant to do that, but it was... Um, Probably not. It was yeah, I it really underlines that Ben is sweet and dumb is basically <laughs> kind of my 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 feelings on uh, Ben Covington. Um, yeah, it, it I, I really liked the. I mean, listen, I'm not going to lie. I'm a team Noel person uh, as opposed to team Ben. I, I see more of myself in Noel than I do in Ben. Uh, but I, I think that um, they do. A, I have a, this is a question for you too. Uh, having show run your you know the shows you've been on and 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 just you know been a staff writer on the shows you've been on, a love triangle is very hard to do, uh, believably and to and to consistently feed into. Um, this show somehow milked four seasons out of out of a love triangle, which is a testament to the writing and mm-hmm. the acting and directing and all of that. Um, but this episode in particular really sort of highlights how the show can go back to these players in ways that feel believable and, um, you know, and still, and still works. Like the fact that she goes back to Noel, I mean, literally six episodes previous to this, they hate each other because she went with Ben, uh, at the end of season one, she went with the, on a road trip with Ben and Noel felt rejected by her yet within the course of these nine episodes, they've believably brought us to a place where she could conceivably ask him, ask to be back in his life um, and date him and him actually consider that. So I guess my question to you is sort of how do you, um, how did you, when you were on these shows sort of navigate those minefields and not make it feel repetitive? Yeah, well, on Arrow, we had the ultimate. It wasn't, sure. it, it started as a triangle, but then it, it really was the Felicity Oliver. It was more of a will they, won't they? Sure. You know, by, by mid, by mid series. Um, and that's what it, it felt like was interesting about this episode was it, it was an episode of will they, won't they? The entire episode was about that. It was, a, it kept being like, wait, are they going to, are they going to get back together? Are they not? Are they? And like, it kept going back to the same scenes and to make, to make those scenes feel different and not repetitive is so challenging. And I felt like in this episode, I was kind of in for the entire ride. Like I, I didn't remember where it went. So (laughs) I was kind of like, Oh, are they gonna, 
are they going to get back together? Who cares about Ruby? Like she's obviously not important <laughs> to this, to this story. Sure. Although I sure. found it hilarious how they made, um, uh, being an LA actress, the, oh, the least glamorous job yeah, ever was, was pretty funny. Um, but they did such a good job of going back and forth within just one episode, which is, you know, which is definitely not easy. And then I also liked how the women, how Ruby and Felicity had a scene together, because that's unusual mm -hmm. as well, where they were, and that's a testament to, I think, just the character they created in Felicity. She's the world's nicest, most caring, <laughs> um, to a fault at times, yeah. um, character. And the fact that they had these two women instead of the easy thing to do would be Ruby would go to her and be like, I can't believe, you know, you've like my boyfriend, but instead they had an honest conversation. And um, I felt that was refreshing, even, you know, all the way back in the 90s. I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think that, you know, there's a couple things that I wanted to get your perspective on. The first is, you know, this was a show with a female protagonist um, and at a crossroads in her life dealing with a lot of, you know, identity issues and trying to figure out, you know, what type of person she wants to be and also, you know, what type of woman she wants to be. The friends that she has, um, the career that she wants to have, all those sort of things, the, the man that she wants to have, if she wants to have a man in her life, all of these things. And I think that it's a testament to the fact that the show sort of earns that and sticks with that, even though, you know, obviously the show is created by two men. I imagine that the, the, that the writer's room most likely was had more men than women in it, even though it you know did have women in the room. Um, it, it's it's interesting to see how her relationship with Ruby might actually be one of the stronger relationships she has in the show. I think that her relationship with with Elena is is interesting, but never gets particularly deep. And then her relationship with Julie is always sort of fraught, which mm -hmm. um, I would argue feeds perhaps some stereotypes about how women are towards each other, which, you know, we can have a discussion about that too, to a certain degree. But the Ruby relationship, I think Felicity specifically in this episode sees herself in Ruby, mm -hmm. um, sees sort of the, the quote unquote, that naivete that she had back in season one, as though she's some sort of wise person yeah. now, but. Um, more now, you know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Thought about um, so I, I like to your point, I like the fact that, um, that they write Ruby in a way that doesn't make her seem uh, immature or naive or um, an antagonist, that it's more about Felicity coming to the realization that, um, that she has to let Noel have this relationship with Ruby and see where that goes. It's, it's mm -hmm. unfair of her as a friend and as, you know, as another woman to get in the way of this relationship. Um, which I appreciate it to your point. Uh, I don't know um, that the dreams help us necessarily. Um, the dreams felt a little clunky to me and a little on the nose. Um, and I also hated the, the janky post slow-mo shit that, that they used to do in the nineties where like, rather than filming in camera in slow-mo, they would do it in post afterwards. And it always right. kind of looked herky jerky. Um, so that that's just me being uh, a nerd, but I think that there's um, I don't I don't mind what the dreams symbolize, and I don't mind what they were trying to say. 
they felt padding to me. Like they just felt like they didn't do that. That was very common, you know, and we still do that today on, on everything. Like the dream subconscious is something that is just very television, (laughs) you know, for better, for worse. It's just like the voiceover, like the voiceover dream sequences. Those are just very, um, iconic sort of, you know, uh, devices that, that are used for television a lot. So, um, yes, it did seem, it did seem a little jarring, but I wonder (laughs) if it's at the time felt artsy, you know, a little more artsy because it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily networky in a, in a kind of interesting way. That's, and I would never say really anything against Larry Trilling's directing. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, that's not a shot against Larry. <laughs> he's he's lovely. Uh, he's been on a couple times, and I that's not a, that's certainly not a knock on his direction. No, I, I think it's I think it's more. Um, I, I I I fully agree with you that at the time it probably did seem kind of artsy, um, and. Yeah, I mean, I guess I just didn't really think about it that way. It's it's funny because now when we see dream stuff done, it's usually done um, m- in a much more extreme fashion on a prestigious television show, right? Like yeah. like a Sopranos or a whatever, mm-hmm. where like they used to really kind of play with the surrealism of a dream. This, uh, not so much. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, so that, that's sort of, the, that was more of kind of what I was getting at. But I, I think that's absolutely true. I also think that, um, you know, it's, dreams are kind of tropey. And so is the whole drawing someone, which is also mm-hmm. kind of tropey. And yet at the same time, like it works. Like mm-hmm. I hate to, to, to sound, you know, you and I obviously, you know, we do this for a living. So we're, we're, we know how the sausages are made and it's just done in a way that so to us, we just, we know that we see the strings, but I, I, I have to keep reminding myself really constantly when I'm watching television in general, especially when I talk to my parents is that like people watch TV as an escape and they just want to kind of enjoy what they're watching. And <clears throat> they're not worried about subtlety. They're not worried about whether or not a thing is effective in terms of any number of things. So you know, somebody drawing someone might to you and I feel like it's a little on the nose, but it really works. I mean, I watched Titanic a few months ago and it works like it's a good device. And I guess my question is sort of how do you feel about tropes? Do you feel as though do you try to shy away from them? Do you lean into them? Um, I I like tropes, but I like to try to put them on their head a bit. Like, sure. you know, if there is a trope and that there's certain tropes for a reason and it's because we love them, you know, Um, but then, you know, as a, as a writer and trying to keep things fresh, especially in this um, television, you know, extravaganza where there you're competing against a million shows for people to watch, you want to keep it more original. So I like to steer away from what would be considered, you know, a trope that's been used way too many times. Sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, uh, well, I, I, I guess I want to ask also, you know, you're now working in the streaming space, you were working in the broadcast space, very different. Yeah. Um, you know, your your audiences are very different. Um, the expectations are different. How did, How are you sort of, how are you processing that? Because it feels like, you know, 
what would Felicity look like today? Who the hell knows what it would, it might be on Netflix. I, I mean, yeah. if it was anywhere. That'd be cool. Maybe they'll <laughs> reboot it. <laughs> yeah. But how does that difference feel to you as a, as a writer? It feel you know, I had to kind of, I had been my entire career in network television, not just arrow every job I was on before. So yet I watch probably 99% streaming show and this is us is my, is my network. Sure, sure. Um, so I had to retrain my brain a little bit. It was interesting getting in the, we were lucky enough to have the writer's room pre COVID. So we had a real room um, before going into the zoom room. So I had to retrain my brain a little bit in terms of slowing things down and having breathable moments because especially coming from arrow where like we just burnt through plot and, um, and just coming off an eighth season show where everyone knew all the characters really well. So it was like starting all over again and, and kind of an awesome way where we would get to the end of an episode of breaking it. And we're like, Oh wait, we, we need to keep pulling back. And we would just like keep pulling back and keep pulling back and realizing, Oh, we've gone, we don't have to do a full arc for a character in one episode. We can do the beginning part of their arc and finish it in the next episode. And that's something I wasn't used to because in, in mostly in network television, you have like a three, usually a three beat arc for every episode, for every character in an episode. Um, They would have an end point and, and in the streaming space, you don't need to get there that fast, which is really cool. Yeah, I mean, I, I, similar to yourself, I've worked primarily in broadcast, and it does feel like uh, you have to round off every story, you know, within each episode. Um, and and I, I mean, I think there's pros and cons to both sides of it. Oh, my dog. No, talk, <laughs> she didn't like we'll, that. We allow dogs on mic. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that it's just. I think there are pros and cons to both sides. I, I you know, I would argue that that. Netflix shows could stand to be a little bit more episodic in terms of feeling a little bit more like a thing unto itself rather than one of 50 Tic Tacs that I'm supposed to unhinge my jaw and eat all at once. Um, That being said, I think that broadcast can be limiting in terms of having those siloed off feelings that sometimes an episode can feel like. It can be because especially when you're on a 23 episode Sure. Season, get to season seven. Oliver has gone through everything. <laughs> like, we've we've done so. Right. You know, it's it's just hard to maintain. You know. Yeah. Um, and also, you don't get the full. I feel like the advantage of going a little slower is you. It gets. It feels a little more real, and it it's not so tied up in a bow by the end mm-hmm. of an episode, which I think is also nice. Yeah, I mean, I, I think something else that that we get a hint of in this episode, not as hard as, as we've seen in the past, but something that broadcast television does or loves is holiday episodes. Yeah. Um, so you holiday. don't see that so much in the streaming universe. Um, so this is technically the Christmas episode. And as a Jew who and loves Hanukkah, Christmas and Hanukkah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Larry made there. sure. <laughs> Um, but it's, it's, it's interesting how the streaming world sort of doesn't do that. Now, I think part of it has to do with when episodes air, uh, trying to capitalize on sweeps, trying to capitalize at the time on sweeps and what that meant. And, 
um, and all of that, which I completely get. Um, but I kind of miss it. I, I kind of miss the hanging an I episode. Agree. I think like that. that's why Stranger Things, like when they did the Halloween yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. season, was really enticing. Because yeah. I agree. You, and I think it is because you're not sure when things are airing. When you're on a network show you or a broadcast show, you know relatively your air date. So you know which episode is going to be the Thanksgiving episode. You know which one's going to be the Christmas, you know, one before you go on that long break. Um, so I think uh, with streaming, you don't know those dates necessarily in advance. So you can't plan for it as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, for sure. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Um, so in terms of this episode opens in a dream sequence where Felicity is dreaming about her thoughts or feelings about Noel, um, they're in their art class, they're drawing a picture. Um, you know, I, I basically Noel and Felicity have a conversation where Felicity, they both feel guilty about the kiss that happened in the previous episode. In the previous episode, there was a Thanksgiving dinner and Noel got drunk and, Felicity was feeling conflicted about her relationships with her previous boyfriend, David, and they kissed. And this episode is really sort of about the the fallout of that, what is, which is actually sort of surprising when you think about it. I'm surprised they didn't end on the drama. Right. I also, because I don't remember, why was the teacher so mad at them? <laughs> I didn't understand that part because I didn't know the backstory. Oh, Right. Was it her son that she dated? The backstory is that, yes. yes. Oh, it was. Okay. So that's yes. why. It wasn't because because yeah. Noel is now not her RA anymore. So that's not, that that was not the controversy. Correct. So Correct. just mad that Felicity like dumped her son for Noel. That feels like a, that's interesting. <laughs> 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 yeah, no, it, it is. It is interesting. Uh, it's the whole, the whole Professor Sherman setting Felicity up with her son storyline. That feels inappropriate. It is inappropriate. Uh, it is. <laughs> That's yeah. interesting. Okay. Yeah. So that 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 that. Yeah. I I, I don't know. It creates conflict. It creates yeah. some semblance of stakes. So I sort of get it. Um, <clears throat> And I would, I would also, I would argue that Felicity is not a rule breaker. She's not, you know, an iconoclast by any means. So the idea of her doing something morally questionable, mm-hmm. bringing that into the fold, I don't think it's a terrible idea. I just, it's weird. 
But yeah. that's why she's upset. Okay. Um, I was wondering what it was. I'm like, yeah. And then like the professor was at this dinner and caught Felicity kissing Noel. Uh, and that's why we are where we are. Okay. Um, but, but, but ultimately I was surprised that because, you know, looking at sort of your season arcs and your, and where you want to kind of land your, your finales or what have you, like there's really not much of a cliffhanger on this episode. That's not to say that, Maybe they care, but like they go away for a month and when the show no, comes back. I, I would disagree because I thought it was a perfect cliffhanger. I thought it was, oh. it was actually more a, of a streaming kind of cliffhanger mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, where, you know, you can tell he's going away with um, Ruby. She's going by herself and then there's going to be this time. So it gives right. the writers, like I could totally see why they did. It gives the writers the opportunity to do whatever that they want when they came back from this break. That's um, true. And so, you know, they could have, I don't remember what happened. So I'm just pitching in the dark, but they could have, <laughs> no, and Ruby could have be broken right. up when we come back or Felicity can have a new boyfriend. Like there's so many things that they could do. And I think the, the cliffhanger is is an emotional one. It's an emotional cliffhanger because this is not where the audience wanted them to be. However, the longing continues. So you're just, you're wanting more. You're like, ah, I didn't get what I wanted, but if I come back, then hopefully something happened with Ruby and Noel to make, you know, Felicity get in there again. That That is the perfect way of thinking about it. I think I was, I was a little surprised that it was as nuanced as it was, I guess is what I'm getting at. You know, when you, when you had sort of, um, and, and looking, looking at this sort of these two episodes, the last week's episode and this episode, it made me think a little bit of game of Thrones in a weird way, which is they would always do all the crazy shit, in the penultimate episode. And then the yeah. finale would always be about table setting or, you know, for the next laying groundwork yeah. for, yeah. So it's, it, it is interesting that, that, that they did that. Um, because, it's broadcast television in 1999. Like I was kind of surprised that they didn't go out on something a little bit crazier as opposed to going out on this. It should also be said too. We hinted at it a little bit, but like Ben has no story in this episode. No really, story. it's like Ben's worried that about an assignment, which is is also interesting to kind of leave his character in in kind of a shrug of a place is kind of weird in its own right too. Yeah, but, it felt like the other, it was interesting. It felt like I would say they were not even a B and C story. It felt like a double C story that they were just, you know, not connected to to her story, which, yeah. you know, usually, especially in broadcast television, I know we did on air a lot as well. Like we tried to have everyone touch in on the theme, even in our smaller stories. And it felt like that, was not really happening with the other stories. It felt very. No. Yeah, it felt like they they understandably perhaps went all in on on Noel and Felicity, yeah. and they were yeah. like, "This is going to be where we want to you know put all our chips on this," um, which which makes sense. But um, it also leads towards a question I had for you about. Um, one of the things I appreciate about this show is that it goes right at things. It doesn't sort of dance around things. It doesn't do sort of the obfuscating that a lot of broadcast shows can do where they just kind of want to, you know, uh, make a meal out of things as much as they can. And, and specifically with the, with the Noel and Felicity thing, you know, Felicity goes straight to Noel and says like, I want to date you again. 
Um, and I appreciate that about the show. Um, it, 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 it's sort of, it's kind of ballsy in its own way. And I, I wonder sort of what your thoughts are on that. I had the same feeling when I watched it. Cause again, I didn't remember. So I um, was shocked a little bit about how straightforward she was. And also it's cringeworthy. You're like, oh, I can't <laughs> believe you're saying this, which is great. Yeah television because your your audience is kind of like oh my god she's putting like everything out there and um that's really hard to do in real life so it's um it's interesting because her character both is so straightforward and and has like you know the strength to to be honest but then there's times when she's with ruby where she like doesn't say necessarily her true feelings and she doesn't do what's right for her she puts other people in before what she wants um but yeah those scenes are they are a little you're kind of like oh my god i can't believe they're like <laughs> saying all these things yeah. and it's because you don't i mean maybe just my experience but like it's it's hard to do that in in real life um especially when you're sure. in college and especially when you're that young and you're dating and you don't know who you are and um everything is confusing um which is interesting not to segue but when i rewatched the pilot Mm-hmm. I thought it was extremely interesting the um you know when she goes to to Ben to sort of confront him and is like you're that guy cuz she cuz you want her she's like every woman who wants to say things that you don't end up saying to to yeah. guys that you like so I think that's probably one of the things that connects the audience as well as just like her that forward, <laughs> you know, she says what, what everyone's thinking. Which is For great. sure. Yeah. There's, there is a, um, there's a fearlessness to her character and there's a boldness to her character, even though she is a little bit of a, you know, a wallflower that she is, there's a lot of contradictions in her that make her so watchable um, and such a great hero. You know yeah. what I mean? Like you, 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 you see all of the sort of conflicts that she's dealing with on a regular basis. Um, and, and yet at the same time, when she's sitting in this episode, when she's sitting on, on Noel's couch and he and he tells her the story about the stuntman mm-hmm. who did this insane jump on a motorbike and he missed and he broke almost all the bones in his body. And the reporters were asking him if he tried again. And he said, no, because I really missed the first time. And the look on her face, there, first of all, like, I mean, Carrie Russell what 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 hasn't been said about how brilliant Carrie Russell mm-hmm. is just in general um and what she can convey with a look without any words um seeing her sitting there she looked so crestfallen and so heartbroken um but also understanding of the situation like not angry not sort of you know not feeling as though Noel was being unreasonable and i couldn't help but also look at her hair yeah. She had this sort of, she had this little um, I don't, I headband in her hair. Yeah. And, you know, we've talked a lot about the haircut. The hair. <laughs> the hair. But I also just couldn't help but look at it a little bit and just, you know, thinking about the boldness of her doing what she did, cutting her hair so short and how naked that must have made her feel as a character mm-hmm. um, and how naked she is in that moment and how, Noel, this person that she has these feelings for, um, it all just felt like I could just see it all there just so plainly. 
it was really powerful. I was, yeah. I was just really, I was surprised by it. Um, I was going to say that about the hair because I, when I first turned on, I didn't realize her hair cut yeah. already happened. Because <laughs> yeah. for some reason I thought it happened sure. later in the series. No. Um, and she's gorgeous. So I'm just going to get that out. She is absolutely stunning. <laughs> but I, I feel like they did not know how to style her <laughs> hair correctly because short hair is really awesome and powerful and can look amazing and she's literally the most beautiful human on the planet so it shouldn't have been that hard so i'm just gonna say that <laughs> I, I that's a, that i i absolutely agree with you um and and it is it is really interesting to watch and and i actually want to get your thoughts on this too because the end of season one, this show is at the peak of its powers. It's it's a hit. Uh, they go off on a, on a huge cliffhanger. Who's she going to pick, Noel or Ben, blah, blah, blah. She picks Ben. She comes back. We do two episodes where essentially she decides that Ben is actually not the person for her, that he's a bit of a coward, uh, that he's not capable of, of being worthy of her. So she breaks up with him and she cuts her hair. Um and and for lack of a better way of putting it, they throw a bunch of grenades into the television show and blow up all the relationships. They blow up her relationship with Noel. They blow up her relationship with Ben, and they cut her iconic hair. Yeah. Um, and it is it, it is a bold, crazy move. And I guess my question to you is, you know, as a showrunner, it takes real courage to do something like that. Yeah. I mean, you are you are essentially testing your audience and daring them to keep watching your television show. Yeah. Um, so, you know, can you talk about sort of what that, how scary that must've been or what that must've been like as a showrunner or what sort of the end goal of that might've you know, been? We, the, um, we had something similar and the only thing I can probably relate it to is, is Katie Cassie's hair. And <laughs> she really wanted to have a short haircut and she, and of course it's Arrow and she looked fucking awesome like her hair was <laughs> amazing it was like she cut it really short and it looked awesome that's why i was saying like the styling was yeah, like yeah. not because i love the idea and that's a huge bold move with any working with any studio and network and back then i can only imagine yeah. um it being uh super controlling on how your characters look because you don't want to change you just don't want to change what's working in general. And that's always sort of, you know, the fear. But when it relates to a, a storyline, I think it's so bold. And and, and I love that. And, and a woman's hair symbolizes so many things. And sure. I think that, you know, we've all had a short haircut for different reasons. And what does that mean when a, when a woman has a short haircut? Like it's so, seems so crazy and drastic and it's, and it shouldn't be. Um, but I, I think it's, I love that move. I just think it was not styled properly. I just don't think she would have styled her hair that way. Well, they, there were like all these like little hooks in it. Like it all felt like, yeah, I, I mean, I listen, it, it, once it grows out a little bit in season three, it, it, it all gets a little better. But and the fact that it was they were doing the portrait episode would double down on it. Yeah. <laughs> and he had yeah. to draw her hair, which also didn't look good in the portrait. <laughs> he looked like a a GQ model in the portrait and she did not look as no. beautiful as she is. No. So I, I was like, I agree. Was that on purpose? <laughs> he was mad at her. I, I didn't know if that was like, you know, when they were Okay, yeah. pops. If they were do that on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, you mentioned something that I want to follow up on, which is that it always feels like your studio and your network wants to keep doing the thing that's working. And your creative, your writers always want to change it up. Like they are always kind of antithetical to one another. And I think that that's probably more apparent in broadcast than it is in 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 streaming and, and cable, because in broadcast, syndication is always the goal and the amount of episodes seems to always be paramount. It's a little bit of quantity over quality in the broadcast space. Um, but how do you find that balance? How did you personally find that balance of trying to um, have things changing enough so that the show continues to be fresh and yet at the same time, you know, placating your studio and your network to make sure that it doesn't feel like you're changing things too abruptly. So I got really lucky because when I took over Arrow, that was the idea. Everyone was really supportive for change because like I said, after, you know, when you get to season seven and there's been six seasons of 23 episodes, everyone wants that change. And even on this, the studio network level, they invited that change, which is, um, and the creator, Mark Guggenheim, same thing, that he wanted a new showrunner so that there could be a new voice, um, a new voice who also understood the show. So it wasn't just, you can't go from, you know, it's still Arrow, so you can't do something drastically different. But, um, and that was my goal. And that's why we did the flash forwards in season seven. So it was, um it opened up the world and it opened up new characters. And instead of doing flashbacks, which we had outgrown, we were able to create a future and Oliver and Felicity's future children and, and, and all of our other characters, future children, which was really sure. fun to do. Um, and we were also able to do, you know, we had a prison arc where he, our hero was in prison for the first chapter, which we were convinced we were only going to be able to, have him be in prison for like one or two episodes and the studio and network were so supportive of, of my vision and, and that, you know, we wanted to change things up. And, um, Peter Roth especially was just so open to, um, to making the show fresh. And, um, and I was, I was surprised by that actually. And every time I tried to do something different, they were like, yes. And I thought I was, I thought I'm like, is everyone, are they paying attention? <laughs> but they weren't. That, that, I mean, that's a freedom that most people aren't afforded in broadcasting. Yeah. So, yeah I, mean, that, I was really, I was very fortunate and had everyone's support. And that was really refreshing to me as someone who's been there for a long time. And a lot of our other writers who had been there for a long time, we were able to tell stories that we wanted to be telling. Um, it didn't seem as formulaic as um, how this series began because it has to have, there needs to be an evolution. It can't just be the same, you know, paint by numbers over and over again, because your audiences will get bored. We, no, I, 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 I mean, <laughs> for sure, for sure. I mean, it, it, it certainly, this all feels part and parcel of, of a very kind of J.J. Abrams way of looking at things, which is to kind of never sit still too long, um, to always sort of keep things moving. And, and, and they clearly had the power and the clout after this first season to be able to take some bold moves. That being said, talking to Karina, uh, Warner Brothers <laughs> is still, 
licking their wounds from the Felicity haircut in the terms of that there are still like <laughs> there are like all these regulations now that are in place oh, when really? it comes to whether characters how they cut their hair and and approvals that need to be done and and it's it's just really interesting how you know people don't know how a television show is made and how many yeah. hoops you have to jump through to do something yeah. so something this bold that really sort of it's 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 really interesting. I, obviously, I've had a lot of guests on for this miniseries, and we've had a lot of talks about why the show works and what people loved about season one and what people perhaps found alienating about season two. And, and its ratings took a big hit after she cut her hair. They moved its time slot around a bunch. Like, they didn't do the show any favors. Yeah. Um, and, it, and, and they triaged the bleeding for season three, and then the show was done in season four. So when everything is said and done, um, it had its moment. Um, and I would argue that... That, that the risk of cutting her hair and doing what they did at the top of season two gave the show more longevity than people think. Mm-hmm. I think that that changed the equation. It, it, it shook things up. And I think that, um, that those things are important, even if it did freak out some of its teenage audience. Um, but I think that that's one of the things that makes the, makes the show so special, um, is taking those risks. Um, and 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 I think that you know this episode isn't necessarily the riskiest episode in the world. I agree with you that that the that the cliffhanger is more nuanced and more emotionally based, um, which is the smart play. I think that you know um, leaning into a relationship that they know their audience is invested in and making sure that that's sort of the way that they go off for a few weeks is is a is a smart thing to do too. Even if Felicity does get another boyfriend on the on the back end of this season and. You know, he's equally as boring as David was. Um, now I'm going to have to go back and wa- I'm going to watch all of it. I really, really enjoyed it. You, it, 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 you might actually, first of all, you will absolutely enjoy it. But this, the boyfriend she gets for the second half of season two is kind of uh, politically based. Like he's oh. this, he's, he's more of like a social activist, at, which is actually quite interesting considering the world that we live in right now. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's all about Felicity. One of the things is Felicity fighting for birth control for, for women on, on campus and stuff oh. like that. So it's, it's surprisingly bold and edgy <laughs> for 99. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, you know, it, it's, it's a really interesting show. And I, I just to, just to wrap up our other storylines really quick, um, Noel, posits to Felicity that he's bought a bunch of gifts for Ruby and he doesn't know what to give her. One of which is a Palm Pilot in yes. a box that's so big. It's <laughs> <laughs> just like, what is this box? <laughs> um, but he's unsure as to, as to give her a bracelet or to give her a Palm Pilot. And Felicity says that she would want the bracelet. And then he gives her the Palm Pilot, and you think to yourself, okay, well, he's clearly still in the tank for Felicity. He gave her the thing that isn't as emotionally potent. Uh, but then eventually Felicity and Ruby talk, as we spoke of, and Felicity decides to take herself out of the running and to say, like, you need to be with Ruby right now. And he gives her the necklace, or sorry, the bracelet at the end. Um, the other storyline that I want to talk about just real quick is the Julie storyline. Um, so Julie, who is a character who... It just never fully, totally clicked. Like, I'm not sure that they ever really knew what they wanted to do with her. I had Amy Jo Johnson on the podcast and we mm-hmm. talked a little bit about her, uh, her character and, and she was dealing with a lot of personal stuff. Her mother was very sick and her mother unfortunately passed away mm-hmm. while making the show and, oh. and she ultimately couldn't handle all of it. And she, she actually left the show despite the fact that a lot of people think that she was fired. She left the show. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But at this point in her character's arc, we're about to head into what I would argue is one of the more awkward storylines, which is that Sean has a crush on Julie and Julie doesn't really know what to do with that. And this is the beginning of that in the sense that she's playing a she's playing at Epstein Bar and an A&R exec named Eric comes up to her and says he loves her stuff. And Sean immediately says that this guy's just trying to get in her pants and immediately tries to sort of push her away from this guy who works for a really dumb record company called Pop Rocks. Um, <laughs> but it it, it nice. the reason that I bring it up is, you know, one of the things about doing this podcast, uh, not just specifically Felicity, but all the movies and all the television shows that we've been covering is looking at it through the sort of post Me Too lens, hmm. looking at how relationships between men and women were were acted and written and directed back in 99. And a lot of it is held up, which I'm happy to say, but some of it has not. Um, and when you see Sean, who is this very large person, who has sort of this very imposing kind of figure, if you will, and Julie, who is this like very petite girl, um, it, it, it just, there's dynamics to the way that he plays it that has this sort of like... Um, evil nice guy incel vibe oh. that can that that I'm not saying I felt in this episode and I'm not even necessarily saying is is overtly there in the storyline but I guess my question to you is you know now in a sort of post me too in a world where thankfully you know we're we're hopefully making progress as to the way female characters are written and male characters are written um that men don't have to be alpha males all the time that they can be allowed to show their emotions that they can be allowed to sort of have these layers and nuance to it um i sort of wonder you know how you how you viewed this show through that lens if you viewed this show through that lens i didn't cuz i again didn't remember their storyline so i was watching it from like a totally new perspective in terms of like I'm like, oh, he obviously likes her. <laughs> and she's kind of like, you're an idiot. And got mad at him. And so it didn't feel it didn't feel it didn't feel like there was anything wrong in terms of that. And also the weird part was him saying, like, oh, this guy wants to get in your pants, and you're like, what? He literally just gave her a card <laughs> and asked if she yeah, wanted yeah. a drink. Like there was yeah. no suspicion about him at all, except that he worked for a record label. So that I guess is suspicion enough um, as we uh, portray <laughs> those types. Sure. Um, but there was, there was basically a non storyline because he, he, you didn't actually see her with this guy. So you didn't know if he was a creep or not. You just saw it, you know, it actually wasn't a story about her in a weird way. Like it was a yep. story about Sean's reaction to what happened. And yep. it was so the story was very light. Like it almost made me realize or made me think what you said earlier. Um, did they have more scenes that they cut out and then they just fully went into oh, the, that's interesting. Um, Felicity story because whether it was in the script phase or they actually shot it, but it did feel like it was missing a scene of her going to the, record label or something yep. or more interaction with that guy um, because it was like three, was it three beat? It was, she tells him that she's going to play. Um, and then he comes, she tells him she's going to play. Then she plays at the coffee shop. Then he tells her he's just trying to get in her pants. And then, yeah, so there's four beats and then she comes back and it's like, no, he really yep. likes my music. You're an asshole. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I am an asshole, but I will, I'm busy writing 
Ben's paper right now. So yeah, <laughs> so that was a weird time too. Is he he sort of serviced both stories, so I think that he couldn't fully be. In, and then he also had that smoothie. Smooth days, yeah. Yeah, so there were the, the sort of side stories were a little bit messy in this episode, and um, I'm not sure if that was because you know in the script phase where they were just like we only care about Felicity yep. and Noel, and in another world, this episode could have just been that storyline, and I feel like that is probably what happened. They they didn't have enough space to service other stories to make them richer, and I think. Um, in network now, like you do, you would have the freedom to sort of drop other stories. And, and I think so. I know um, we did like on arrow, we were able, well, season seven, I guess was different, but like we were able to drop stories if we wanted to, we had the freedom to do that. So um, that would have been probably the better. Movie. Yeah. You I, I, kind of took you out of, of that. I, I totally agree with you. I, I felt like it's, there's a couple things I want to say. The first is, in the end of the episode, Sean ultimately, and I'm going to eat my words a little bit, but or sort of talk it up both sides of my mouth, which is that Sean ultimately does acknowledge the fact that he was wrong uh, to judge this guy too quickly. Now, he's not wrong ultimately because the guy does end up to be a bit of a, bit of a skis. So there's that yeah. on the other side of it. So, But that's neither here nor there. Um, that's more of an indictment of the music industry, which is fair. Um What's what I do? What I did like about this storyline is that Julie stands up for herself and says, mm-hmm. "This isn't okay. The way that you acted is not okay." Mm-hmm. And Sean agrees, capitulates, and says, "Yes, that yeah. was fucked up, and I shouldn't have done that." Um, so I appreciated all of that, which isn't to say that. Uh, so I, I I don't mean to suggest that that Sean's a creep or that Sean's doing anything untoward. He never crosses any lines, particularly. Um, but it's it's just something that I kind of wanted to highlight because the the guy who has a crush on the girl um, and doesn't get the girl just has a weird vibe to me now a little bit that yeah, I can't really it, articulate. It's interesting because some similar things have come up, you know, in in storylines where I'm very against writing towards the guy who has a crush from afar it means something different to me now i mean i think it's always kind of meant something different and creepy to me and that's used i'm sure so much if someone i'm sure in all the um 90s things that you've watched is is used a lot but it's like that kind of you know dorky guy that's like crushing on like this pretty girl from afar always makes me feel uncomfortable um and so yeah. I've been, I've pushed back on sort of those kind of storylines because it it doesn't come across well on the screen and in real life. <laughs> and it's also, I, I can attest to that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's also not it's not a great uh, message to send um, about these unattainable women that just ignore these men. You know, because the truth is, it, it goes both ways you know as you see in the felicity storyline she's Mm -hmm. she likes a guy he doesn't like her at the moment like that's just what relationships are and dating no matter like how nerdy or not nerdy it's you're always going to be in either position you know so i think the sort of male gaze of that woman of the like attractive woman that like doesn't give you the time of the day is 
is pretty negative and it, and it, um, it's not a good message to send. So I, I try to fight against that. I think that's, I think that's, I couldn't agree with you more. I, I think that first of all, it, it, it perpetuates a stereotype that on both sides that isn't healthy. Um, I think that, that we should always be about, uh, empowering the person to be who they are. I mean, mm-hmm. that you should be confident in who you are and, and confident about the, that your, 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 uh, you know, your strengths and your weaknesses. Um, and I, and I also just think that now in the online culture that we live in, we should not be perpetuating any sort of, uh, that, that sort of incel, you know, anonymous bullshit behavior that happens online t- that towards women, uh, mm-hmm. and is just, unacceptable and we shouldn't yeah. be, we shouldn't be doing anything to, to, to help that along. But um, uh, yeah, I mean, I just, a, a couple quick things left in the episode that I wanted to talk about, which was um, Elena doesn't really get a lot to do, but I do think that um, she has some nice scenes. She has the scene where um, first of all, she has the great joke when she walks in and they're about to kiss and she's like, you guys were about to kiss again. <laughs> like, I like that. She just calls them out on it. I think that's yeah. great. And, um, <laughs> and she does seem annoyed, which is great. And then there's the, the scene where Felicity uh, comes to her um, uh, science class or pre-med class, whatever you want to call it. Um, and they have that scene where Felicity is crestfallen that Noel shot her down and Elena is a good friend to her and um, and is supportive and, and, and really nice in that scene. But yeah, Elena doesn't really have a storyline. Um, the last thing, uh, well, one of the last things was, I love what you were talking about earlier where Ruby says, they give me per diem, which is just free money. <laughs> <laughs> they they say they need me back for two more weeks, which is insane because all I do is sit around. <laughs> all I do is sit around. Did you say my trailer? Did she say yeah. trailer? Yeah. No, she's, she's like, just I like, all I do is, yeah, it's just Yeah, it was, that was amazing. Because <laughs> it, it could not be more perfect. There's another line about where she says something like, um, I really miss Noel because I just see all these creepy guys in the lobby or something. Yeah, yeah. 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 It's, I mean, yeah, she has, yeah, she has that whole scene where she's like, what I look forward to most are the gifts that Noel sends me, sends me little packages and stuff like that. And she basically conveys to Felicity how much she cares about Noel and, and Felicity doesn't want to get in the way of that, which is, which is, you know, kind in her own right. But yeah, the Ruby character, what's really funny, we, I had Amy Smart on to talk about the Ruby character as well. And she talked a little bit about how, um, she got the role of road trip during this run um and she went to jj and matt and said i have this role can i go do this role and they let her go and do it i don't mean to be a conspiracy theorist but i and i'm curious about your thoughts on this too when an actor who's a recurring character gets another role you're not always inclined to keep that person around right you're there's a part of you that feels like there might be other things i don't know how you felt about it agree with that because that has happened um you know, on Arrow before and cause they, as long as it doesn't interfere with your show, there's no reason why I would be upset. Okay. To do a movie because they have their hiatus. They can do whatever they want in their hiatus. And, and I recognize that as an actor, you want to play different roles and it's not, sure. that you think you're, you're better than the show. That's a whole different thing um right but and if it doesn't interfere and if it doesn't interfere with your scheduling then i would you know we've always let people shoot things um on on our hiatus not during 
you know, the actual. Sure. I, I, sorry, I was, I was unclear as to what I was, what oh. I meant to say was, then <laughs> this is on me. Um, what I meant to say is that I think that I, the reason I say this is because I wish that Ruby stuck around. I think that Ruby's a great character who I think was really additive to Noel's character. And I think that as we see in season three and in season four, mostly in season three, he doesn't really have another girl that felt like a viable option to him. Mm-hmm. So it mm-hmm. creates a situation where you're just waiting for him to come back around on Felicity, which isn't a great place to be. Yeah. My question was more whether or not they might have kept her around or the character might have stuck around had she not gone off to do this movie. And I don't know the answer to that. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know if it's one of those things where, you know, she thinks that, she's a she's got a big movie career or the agent starts to think like oh this girl's going play i mean there's any number of things that's what i think might have been something that that might have affected the character yeah i don't know it could be a million things like it could be who the hell knows what i mean there's so many different it's hard to it's hard to guess on on that for sure for sure i feel like what you said about a viable love interest is right on it was spot on because we had issues with that in terms of later you know as soon as oliver and felicity were together and then felicity like um had another boyfriend but you were still like oh of course it's oliver so that that's super challenging because when the when the audience already loves that couple but you know you can't keep them together because it's just you know it gets boring after a while um, and trying to complicate that. And same thing with Oliver when he had his um, <laughs> several random girlfriends later in the seasons. And yep. it's just, you know, that they don't come close to, um, to as a competition, you know, that Oliver and Felicity are our end game as they say, as they say. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I couldn't agree with you more in terms of, you know, I'm sure this has happened to you, you know, you always hope for the best when you write a recurring or when you write a new character that comes in. Um, and more times than not, it's kind of a push. Like, it's kind of a like, yeah, this was fine. This did what it needed to do. It bought us a handful of episodes. But every now and then, you do strike gold. And then you're in those situations where you're just like, well, now what do we do? Yeah. <laughs> like, we, do we bring this person? I mean, now is this person a, a regular? Do we bring this person back? You know, the audience is now, they like this person. Yeah. And you, it, it's, it's, you almost would rather they not work than work because you know what I mean? Cause then like, where the fuck are you? <laughs> I mean, I think that's a good problem to have because that, sure. that's what makes a, I mean, that's what made Ben and Noel such good, uh, such a good love triangle because yeah. if you only like one side of the triangle, if people, I mean, everyone's going to choose which side, but like there has to be a divide in the audience. Otherwise mm-hmm. if everyone liked just one part of the triangle, it's yeah. not a triangle. For sure. I mean, if it, and then it becomes a will they, won't they, and you can only milk that for so long. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So two quick last things. The first is, uh, as much as we've said, Ben has nothing to do in this episode. Scott Speedman does have a funny moment at the end when he seems to be just all jacked on Coke or not cocaine, but like (laughs) Coca-Cola. And uh, he's just all like manic. And generally speaking, Scott Speedman is fine as Ben. I like him. He's a, he's good, but I actually think he can be quite funny. Mm -hmm. So it's a funny moment when he comes to Sean and says like, I need you to read this and I need you to help me out. Um, But the last thing is uh, the last scene that Felicity and Noel, but the second last scene that they have in the episode uh, is when Felicity 
goes to Noel and says, you need to, you need to stay with, with Ruby. Um, and she has a line that I really loved, which is she said that after Ruby came to her, that Ruby, she had a tone in her voice that was sweet and urgent and a little familiar that is just a really beautiful line, mm-hmm. um, which I think really encapsulates the tone of the show in so many ways that its heart is always in the right place that it's about growth. It's about figuring out what's important to you, becoming the person you want to be. Um, and, and putting just a little bit of poetry in people's mouths that f- makes it feel heightened enough that you wish that you were these characters. Yeah. It feels, I mean, you're, it makes you question what would you do in that situation? Um, and Felicity goes too far in the sense of the, the morality where, you know, she, she puts others before herself, but I would, when I was watching, I'm like, I wouldn't let him, I wouldn't let him go with her. If I thought that he wasn't interested in me, yes, a hundred percent. But after he tells her, you know, and that's why, and again, I can't remember where this, where this season goes, but I thought part of the reason she let him go is because she wasn't a hundred percent sure on him. So, which I don't know, that's probably not right. Um, cause I don't know where she it ends goes. up with Ben at the end of the season. So, oh, yeah. so maybe it was right <laughs> because yeah. she, cause if you genuinely know that if you're not a hundred percent about so on, especially when you're in college um, and sure. you're letting them ruin a relationship where this woman is completely, you know, infatuated with him. And that's a lot of pressure to be like, break up, break. You need to break up with this girl so you can be with me. And I'm actually not a hundred percent sure that this is what I want. So, right. yeah. um, so that's where my brain went that she, that was the reason why she didn't, um, she wasn't, you know, going full in on, on sure. Noel and, um, I forgot what the question was. I yeah, no, 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 you're not, no, that was, that's, <laughs> no, 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 that's, that's totally what you, you were absolutely right in what you were saying. I, I think that, you know, this is one of those things where, um, you know, your love triangle is, is a, is a curse and a blessing, right? Which is that ultimately she has to, I guess she has to pick somebody. She doesn't need to pick somebody, but let's just say she has to pick somebody. Um, she's going to pick the guy that was the impetus of the television show. She's going to pick the guy that made her move to New York, in uh-huh. theory. Uh-huh. Um, ben was most likely always going to be her end game. Mm-hmm. Um, so you kind of put yourself in a bit of a bind. And I do think that this season ultimately was structured with the top of season two, blow everything up blow up Felicity and, and Ben so that they can both grow throughout the season so that by the end of the season, yeah. they can ultimately get together. Right. Um, and then season three is about them moving in together and blah, blah, blah. So it's like, it then becomes a show about Felicity and Ben's relationship and mm-hmm. trying to sort of, they go all in on the thing that they think the audience wants, which, right. you know, I'm sure very well a lot of people did. Um, but it's it's interesting that at this point, at this inflection point of the series, um what they're doing with Noel and what they're getting out of the Noel side of it is helping to fuel what will ultimately be the Ben side of it. So it's, it's sort of seeing yeah. those, those scales, which is, which is really smart. Um, well, Beth, thank you for being on here. Thanks uh, I really do appreciate it's you so uh, coming on to talk about TV with us. I love talking about TV. So anytime. <laughs> <laughs> 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.